0: Set your intention. Those were the words that Autumn, a woman who was leading me from my television screen, told me to do. Set your intention. It was the yoga portion of a Beach Body DVD. It was a set that we purchased some years ago. The fact that it was a DVD will give you a hint as to how many years ago. We got this DVD in order to get beach bodies. I was hopeful that just buying the DVDs would accomplish the beach body, but apparently you have to also do the exercises, including, much to my chagrin, yoga. Set your intention is, I learned, yoga speak for focusing your mind. Focusing your mind on what it is you want to accomplish in your workout. What is your vision for how this downward dog and sun salutation is going to affect you? If you set that intention, it will help you in going through the program. So I did. I set my intention. I imagined myself shirtless on a beach with six-pack abs, getting carted in restaurants because I looked younger than 21, qualifying for the Boston Marathon, college football coaches calling me up to give motivational talks in the locker room. And when I told Kim my intention, she said, we're trying for goals here, not miracles. So I lowered my expectations. What exactly did I intend? Health, I thought. And I heard myself asking, to what end health? So that I live a long life. And that same question came back again. To what end So I could be present for my family. To what end? It turns out that this intention setting is a lot harder than it would appear if you're serious about it. To what end? That's the question of intention. Why exactly are you doing this thing that you were doing? So you could say that Jesus was yoga before yoga was cool. He's always inviting his disciples to set their minds, as it's translated for us, not on human things, but on divine things. And he invites us this morning to set our intention by taking us on a journey in the villages right around Caesarea Philippi at the foothills of Mount Hermon, which is today the Golan Heights just a few miles from the Lebanese border from this vantage point the view to the south stretches across Galilee and toward Jerusalem the entire first half of Mark's gospel was spent in Galilee and from this point forward in this gospel they will be on the way to Jerusalem so there they stand looking back over the ministry that has occurred to that point, looking ahead to what is to come in Jerusalem. Just prior to now, Jesus had healed a blind man in Bethsaida. It was an odd healing. You've heard uh, this story before. Jesus puts a spit in the man's eyes and he asks him, What do you see? And the man says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And so Jesus again puts his hands on his eyes, and the text very clearly says that the man looks intently, and his eyesight is restored. So here they stand looking back at Galilee, looking forward to Jerusalem, and when he's alone with his disciples in that moment, he asks them, What are people out there saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And the disciples start rolling out the usual suspects the names everyone gives in those days to the latest Galilean street preacher John the Baptist, some say, some say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. People on the street are, in other words, totally blind to Jesus' significance. So he redirects, but what about you? He asks, who do you say that I am? And it is, of course, Peter who doesn't miss a beat. You are the Messiah, he says. Peter is the first one to see it in this gospel. Everything Peter has witnessed in Galilee, the healings, the powerful teachings, the transformed lives, all of it leads him to this unflinching, full-throated affirmation that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited one. That's the moment that I look forward to every year in April when the confirmation students stand here in front of this congregation, their covenant partners arrayed behind them, beaming parents and grandparents and assorted family and friends in the church. And we asked them this question, who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, comes the response, full-throated and confident most of the time. But there was this one year There was a group of students at this service, the 830 service, that when I asked that question, some of you may remember this, they put their heads down looking at their shoes, and in a barely audible way, they whispered, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. For the life of me, I think there were a couple of them who didn't even answer the question. They just stood there like deer in the headlights, shaking in fear at being in front of all of you. I almost asked the question again just to to confirm an answer, so to speak, but but I didn't. And the more I've thought about that over the years, I wonder if that silent student may have seen things more clearly than even Peter. Because the profession of faith is not the end of discipleship. It's not the goal of discipleship. It's only the beginning, and the affirmation of Jesus as the Messiah is not enough if one is not prepared to hear what following this Messiah will cost. And Jesus lays it out. As soon as Peter has finished his full-throated affirmation, he tells him the cost. The Son of Man will suffer and die and rise again, Jesus says, And this is more than Peter can bear. He's always first, it seems. Always opening his mouth and saying what it is everyone else maybe is thinking. Peter sees in this moment, but it's as if he sees trees walking. His vision is incomplete. He harbors his own ideas about who Messiah is and what Messiah does. And suffering and dying are not a part of his understanding. He takes Jesus aside in this remarkable scene. He leads him away like a child and scolds him. The language is the same language that's used about exorcisms. He scolds Jesus. In other words, he thinks Jesus is a little bit out of his mind, and he means to call him back to reality. But Jesus turns the tables and lets Peter know that his mind is focused on human things. And Jesus is speaking here of divine things. And anyone who does not understand Jesus' way as the way of suffering and death and resurrection is not following Jesus, but is working at cross purposes to Jesus, is an adversary Of Jesus, which is the literal meaning of that word, Satan. So Jesus calls the crowd and invites them all at that moment to set their intention on divine things. And he lays out the contours of true discipleship, which is shaped like a cross. Those who want to save their lives will lose them but those who lose their lives for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will surely save them. That, that Greek word that's translated life is psyche, which is more than biological living and dying. Jesus is saying in essence to give up ourself, our self, our ego, to receive a new identity in its place. Washed in baptism, baptism, And follow him. This identity will be a cross-bearing one. Turning away from self and toward others. In learning who Jesus is, we discover who we are. Jesus calls us to come and die. Those are the words that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said... You remember him, the pastor in Nazi Germany who ended up being uh, murdered, killed by the Nazis just before his camp was liberated. He said, when Jesus calls a man, using the language typical of that day, he bids him come and die. And we often hear that word, uh, that quote, a little bit out of context. The full quote, helps us understand the radical call that Bonhoeffer was was articulating. He writes, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ-suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. And it is that dying of the old man, which is the result of the encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, he writes, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now we hear the words of Christ today far removed from the space between Galilee and Jerusalem. Or perhaps not. Maybe the space between Galilee and Jerusalem cuts through every human heart. Every time and space, Where we stand between times. Where we are called to set our intention. Or as Jesus invites, to take up our cross. For some, it is the space between high school and college. For others, it's the space between engagement and marriage. The space between working and retirement. Between that long hospital stay and home. The space between the pandemic and, quote, normal times. The space between the dissolution of a marriage and what comes next. The space that opens in the wake of a flood or a fire, a hurricane or an earthquake. The space that confronts a nation after 20 years of war, especially among those who fought it. And the civilians and soldiers who died in it. These in-between times. Call for setting an intention. The intention is clearly set before those of us who follow Christ. In his question to us all. What does it profit a person? To gain the whole world. And yet lose their life. A life. Truly worthy of the name is a life that takes up a cross, that becomes cruciform, cross-shaped. Such a life is marked by justice and love, by mercy and peace. We have been remembering one of those in-between times this weekend as we have reflected as a nation on September the 11th, 2001. Looking back, it's easy to see that those days and weeks immediately after the attacks were a time of setting intentions as a nation and as a world, really. The whole world grieved with us in those days. Even our adversaries were one with us in those moments. Politicians came together across party lines. People started getting to know their neighbors We gathered in large crowds in churches and synagogues and mosques to pray, to set our intentions. I hope that all of this time of remembering helps us not to stay stuck in the past, pining for those days of unity, but to recognize that now, like then, The cross is set before us. The invitation is as before, take up your cross and follow me. That is the answer to the question, to what end? Wherever that space is for you personally, between Galilee and Jerusalem, wherever that space is for us as a nation and a world, wherever that space is for the church and our church, we can be confident of one thing. The one who invites us to follow is faithful and will give us all we need to take up our cross and follow. May it be so. Amen.